0: and we're going to finish this uh, Three Robes of Joseph that I've been working on for a, lot, for a few weeks. And uh, uh, we're going to be kind of confined to uh, a couple chapters in uh, Genesis the 40th chapter, so if you want to turn there. We're going to read a lot of scriptures because I tried to figure out how I could cut some of these scriptures out so I didn't have to do such long readings, but I, there wasn't a lot of way I could do that because uh, it's kind of hard to explain something. It's easier just to read what the scriptures say and we'll kind of go from there. And uh, I like studying the ta- uh, about Joseph, because we can learn so much from his life. We can learn how we handle situations, how we can uh, get along and, and do the things that we need to do. If God gives us a vision, we learn what not to do. Because sometimes learning what to do is great, but sometimes learning what not to do, what not to say, sometimes benefits us more. And God needs to teach us sometimes when to keep our mouths shut and when to open them. So Joseph is a very good example, and we know that uh, Joseph had a rough life. We notice that the, in the first week, the first robe, as you call it, it was his, the great colorful robe that his father gave him that caused him a lot of problems in his family where he, he kind of, uh, the family didn't like him because he was the favorite child and nobody likes a favorite child. And he made it worse by telling them that he had these wonderful dreams where he was going to be the ruler and they were going to be the ones that were bowing down to him. And uh, that wasn't the best thing for him to be doing, as we found out, because they didn't like it, and they threw him in a pit, and they ended up selling him in, in slavery to Egypt. And so then he's doing his job in slavery, and then uh, the, his master's wife kind of took a shining to him and kind of liked him. I guess Joseph was kind of a good-looking kid, good-looking guy, and she thought it would really be nice to uh, trap him in the house. And he ran away and left his robe in her hand, and that robe that he left, ended up in prison. And that's kind of where we're picking up the story now. And I know that it's hard in our lives that we're facing. We ask how many whys in our life. Have you ever asked why? We have a lot of why nots or whys in our life. When I was growing up, I always wondered why I wasn't the favorite child in the family. You know, why wasn't I the one that my mom and dad both really, really liked more than the others? Why wasn't I better looking? Now, this is where you can say, oh, honey, you're, you know, whatever. I guess he's not hearing. <laughs> why wasn't I better looking? My favorite why is why can't I eat everything I want and not gain weight? Doesn't that make you mad when somebody can do that and you can't, and you sit there and you're looking at them and thought, man, all I got to do is watch them eat it, and I gain weight. Man, it would be so nice to be able to eat those all those donuts or all that cake and all that stuff. It would be so nice. And why? Why, God, why? Why can't I eat like that? We have a lot of whys in our life. Some of the whys, though, I don't have to answer anymore. When I was young, you know, you're wondering, what are you going to be when you grow up? That's not an issue to me anymore. That's kind of answered itself. Who am I going to marry? That kind of answered itself. So I didn't need to worry about that. And God did a pretty good job giving me a great man to marry. That was pretty good. I feel real special for, you know, for having him, for giving him. When, I will, ret- when will I retire? Man, from the day one when I started working, I started thinking about when am I going to retire? Man, I hate getting up every morning at 3 o'clock or 3.30 and going to work. And so I kept saying, when am I going to retire? And you sit there and you wonder and you wonder why this and when and when, when, when. Well, that question's kind of answered anyway. So it's kind of funny all the things that sometimes that we ask the why questions about, they have a way of working themselves out. And they, you know we look back and say, man, why was I concerned about that? Why did I waste so much time now we don't answer why did I waste so much time asking why about that? We gotta realize that life isn't a crystal ball. It isn't a fortune cookie. We you know you read those fortune cookies and, and we kind of look at that, oh man, you're gonna be great, oh really? You're gonna have a good day today, or you're gonna meet a special person that's gonna give you money. Oh yeah, that's great, but just a fortune cookie don't really mean anything. And it, the God isn't a psychic hotline. We think that, you know, sometimes we'd like to uh, know what the future holds. But if we knew what the future holds, it'd probably scare us to death anyway. So it kind of, it's, you know, we've kind of learned that some of those why questions are better off if they're not answered. We don't necessarily want to know all the whys that's going on. Because some of those we might not like. and might change, well, I ain't going to do that. I found out that I was going to go down there and my tire's going to get flat, so I'm not going that way. Forget it. And because you didn't go that way, because you didn't get a flat tire, then a person that came to stop that help you, you didn't get to witness to. So we can't get involved in all these why not questions. But I'm imagining that Joseph, in his life, he spent a lot of time wondering why. He had all these wonderful dreams, and he had all these visions of what his life was going to be like. After all, he was raised in a wealthy home. That's another thing why I wondered why about. How come I couldn't have been born rich? Why couldn't my parents have had millions and millions of dollars? But he had a family. He had a father that was very wealthy. And so he's wondering, what happened here? Why am I going through this? I have a father that has all this money and all these things that could benefit my life. And here I am in a prison wondering, why am I here? Man, I could have swore that God gave me a vision of, of how great I was going to be and all the things that I was going to do. And now I'm sitting here in this prison and I'm wondering what's going on. God, where are you? What happened? Man, my life was isn't what it turned I thought I was going to be. And we're and he's asking why. I know he asked why because you and I if we would have been there, we'd have been asking why. And we didn't have all the benefits that Joseph had beforehand. But here he sits in that prison. And Joseph doesn't know why he experienced all the heartaches he had. He didn't know it at this time. Of course, hindsight, tw- hindsight's 20-20. In our lives, we can kind of see and look back at some of the things in our life, and we know, well, this is why this happened. God was preparing me. But he didn't have that option when he was there. He wondered why. And nothing made sense to him. But see, Joseph didn't handle that situation like that. He didn't envy others. He didn't see him getting angry and mad about the situation. He just wondered why. And that's the same thing we got to do. When things are going on in our life, we don't understand. we got to sit there and don't ask, worry about getting angry at people, getting angry at what's going on, get mad at God. Is that what we do? When things don't go our way and we have this why in our life, do we blame God? A lot of people blame God. And a lot of people blame God enough that they walk away from him. So I ain't going to go serve no God that'll let this happen to me. Or I'm not going to serve a God that'll let this happen to my family. Because they don't, we can't see the why. And that's why we need faith. Because God, faith in God gets us through the whys. And we have to understand that God is in control. Well, Joseph knew that. He held on to that vision that he had. And he didn't know how it was going to work out. But he knew that somehow, way, it was going to come. Because I guess the vision or the dream that he had was so impressed upon his heart, he knew that that was going to happen. And when God calls us unto him, and he saves us and he redeems us, he puts a hope in our heart for our future and for our life. We don't know what our future's going to hold. I don't know what's going to happen this week or today, let alone five years from now or ten years from now, but God does. And I have to have enough faith and confidence in God that no matter what's going on in my life, that I'm going to trust him because that's what God wants us to do. Because when we trust God instead of blame God, we grow. When we blame God, we get further away from God. And then it's harder for God to help us. And then we ended up making our lives worse because we're spending all our time and energy blaming God for what's happening and feeling sorry for ourselves and getting depressed and blaming everybody else. And we go home and we kick the dog and we yell at our kids and we yell at our husbands or our wives And we quit praying, and we quit coming to church, and we quit paying our tithes. We quit doing all these other kind of things. Why? Because we got something going on in our life, and we don't have enough faith. God wants us to have faith. We don't have to understand what's going on. We have to have enough confidence and faith to know that God's going to work it out. And he has put hope in our hearts, and we have a hope of a new life. We're going to go to heaven one day, and this world isn't going to mean a hill of beans compared to it. And we spend all of our time working towards this world when we should be putting up retirement in heaven. People that work all their lives. And if you're smart when you're young, then you lay aside time for your retirement so you don't have to worry about it. So you're 70 years old and you don't have to work at Walmart unless you want to. If you want to do something, have something to do, that's great. But when you have to... And your health is starting to suffer when you get older and things are start falling apart because you didn't lay up for your retirement. Well, that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to lay up for our retirement because one day everything we can see is going to be gone. It's going to be gone and we stand before God. We're going to pull and have empty pockets and God's going to say, where's your savings? What did you send up here for me? And I say, well, man, I don't know. I spent all that time working just to retire there and I don't know. And we're going to be very embarrassed. We're still going to say, come on in. But, you know, you don't have that many rewards because you didn't lay up anything. The government don't care if you plan for your retirement because you can't live on Social Security. Try it. Our seniors are suffering. And that's one thing I wish they'd correct in our society is taking better care of our seniors. Because they struggle their whole lives. They work. They... They're good citizens their whole lives, and then they retire, and they get this measly $500 retirement that Social Security, that's about what my mom got before she died, was about $500 and $25 a month she got. And she couldn't live on that. There's no way she could live on that. So it caused her to have to live with her kids, which was okay, generally speaking. There were times, though, when she spent 14 years with us, I'd like to have, (laughs) you know. Because there's hardly, you don't know, say there's only one room for one cook in the kitchen. <laughs> so, but that isn't enough. You can't live on that. So you have to think ahead. You have to have realization of a future. Know that you have to do that if you're going to survive. And that's what we have to do as Christians too. We have to lay up. So Joseph had this hope in his heart that he knew something was going to happen. And so he didn't allow this to bring him down. He, he used it to say, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe God. And that's what he That's the lesson he gives us during this. Now, Genesis 40. Now, we're going to read a lot of verses here this morning. So we can kind of get the background. We know that he's in prison because he got in in prison because he wouldn't sleep with his uh, master's wife. And so his righteousness and his good deed landed him in jail. And sometimes the same thing's going to happen to us. We think, man, why am I being punished? Because all I did was something good. I tried to do something moral and I'm being punished. So that's another thing. Joseph had to wonder what's going on. But he's, so he's cast in prison and this is what's going on now. In verse one, later the king's cupbearer and his baker offended his master and the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his cupbearer and his chief baker. He put them in prison of the captain of the guard, the same place where Joseph was a prisoner. Now remember, this this prison is a place for just for the pharaoh's special prisoners. It wasn't where the general population went. This was more like a country club in those days, uh, type thing where they didn't have near the near the situation to live with. So this was a special prison, and his master, Joseph's master, was the one that was the captain of the guard. So when he cast him into prison, he didn't throw him in the regular prison. He threw him in there because he wanted wanted Joseph's blessing, and he wanted to make sure that stayed in his ha- in his hands within his what he could do so he threw him in a place where he was in control of and after they had confined him for some time both prisoners the cupbearer and the baker for the king of egypt had dreams one night each man had a dream with its own special meaning when joseph came to them in the morning he saw that they were upset so he asked them these officials of pharaoh who were with him in the master's prison why do you look so unhappy today we both had dreams they answered him but there was no one to tell us what they mean isn't god the only one Who can tell what they mean, Joseph asked. Why don't you tell me all about them? So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said, In my dream, a grapevine and three branches appeared in front of me. Soon after, it sprouted and blossomed. This, its cluster, ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into it. I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are 3 days, in 3 days Pharaoh will release you and restore you to my position, to your position. You will put your Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. And Joseph said, "Remember me when these things go well with you, and please do me a favor, mention me to Pharaoh and get at me out of this prison. I was kidnapped from the land of Hebrews and even here I'm nothing to do to deserve being in prison." <clears throat> So he's kind of recounting his sorrows to the guy. He's telling him, hey, I don't deserve to be in here, and here I am. And, but it's kind of interesting that he didn't have uh, any problem interpreting the dreams. He could interpret everybody else's dream, but he couldn't interpret his own, what they meant. And uh, verse 16, the chief baker saw that the meaning Joseph had given the cupbearer's dream was good, So he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, three baskets of white baked goods were on on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. In the next three days, Pharaoh will cut off your head and hang hang your dead body on a pole. The birds will eat the flesh from your bones. Two days later, on his birthday, Pharaoh had a special dinner prepared for all his servants. Of all his servants, he gave special attention to the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He restored the cupbearer to his position, so the cupbearer put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hung the chief baker just as Joseph had said in his interpretation. Nevertheless, the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. And 41 verse 1, after two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. When those guys that came thrown into the prison... And he, they, he interpreted their dreams. He started hoping. He started hoping, hey, man, it's nice. Because it, if you know in this political world we live in, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's all that matters. If you know somebody that's in power and authority, man, they can get you out of a ticket. They can get you out of jail. They can get you jobs where nobody else can. So political power is kind of a wonderful thing. So he's sitting there, saying, all right, finally, finally, I'm going to get some hope. Uh, Something's happening. I'm going to interpret these dreams. Sure, the one guy's going to die, but this one guy's going to live, and he's going to remember me. And in the... uh, Two years later, it said after two years. So what happened when the the cupbearer left? He forgot all about Joseph, didn't he? How many times do people forget about us, or they make us promises, and they... They say they're going to do something, and you sit there, and you go, and you wait for them all day long. I hate it when you're getting dirt TV installed or somebody coming and hooking something up, and you wait all day, and they don't show up. Or they say, we're going to be there from either from 8 o'clock in the morning till noon. Well, you know it's going to be 5 minutes to 12, or it's going to be 1 o'clock, because they'll call you at 12 and say, oh, I'm running a little behind. So you spend the whole day waiting for people. Well, Joseph waited two full years. After all these things had happened, he had his hopes up that, man, now I've got somebody that's going to help me. I've got somebody that's going to get me out of this place, and nothing happened. I can imagine that first month after the cupbearer was taken out of prison, and he just sat there and hoped and hoped and hoped, and nothing happened. But after two years, nothing. So I don't know whether he gave up or not. We probably would have. Of course, this day age. We would have been writing them letters or something to call them on the phone and say, Hey, what happened to you? Because in jail now they have privileges, and back then they didn't have any. So <clears throat> verse 8 on well, 41, verse 8. In the morning, he was so upset. This is talking about Pharaoh had a dream. I don't want to read all that because he kind of reviews it later. In the morning, he was so upset. This is Pharaoh. For all the magician and wise men of Egypt, Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could tell him what they meant. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, I remember a promise I failed to keep. Aha, finally, finally, somebody's starting to remember. Some time ago when Pharaoh was angry with me in his service, you know, and I can't really blame the, uh, the cupbearer to a certain degree because, man, he was in there and he's been thrown in jail and the butler just got killed. The last thing I'm going to say, oh, by the way, there was a guy in there that told me what was going to happen and it happened. Uh, no. Sometimes we try to give messages to people and they don't receive them. Why not? Because there's a perfect time. God has a timing that we have to reach in order to do certain things or say certain things. And we need to understand that. Sometimes maybe it's two years. Sometimes maybe it's one week. Sometimes maybe it's you think about it now and that day you're being able to, to tell somebody something they're going to receive. it. But God, it took two years before The situation turned around to where the message could be received. Because two years ago, Pharaoh wouldn't have listened to the cupbearer. Two years ago, it wouldn't have mattered to him. And if the cupbearer would open his mouth, he might have got mad at him and threw him back in prison or killed him too. So we can't really blame the little cupbearer because I'd have been a little cautious if I'd have just been gotten out of prison. I'd have been extra careful. I'd have been walking on eggshells because the Pharaoh had all kinds of power. You just looked at him wrong and he could kill you. So, I don't blame the cup mayor that much. We'd probably been just as careful. And so, but now he remembers, and he says, Some time ago, when Pharaoh was angry with his servant, he confined me and the chief baker to the captain of the prison. We both had dreams the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. A young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guard, was with us. He told him our, we told him our dreams, and he told us what they meant. What he told us happened. Pharaoh restored me to my position, but he hung the baker on a pole. Then Pharaoh sent for Jacob, and immediately he was brought from the prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can tell me what it means. I heard that when, that when you are told a dream, you can say what it means. Joseph answered the Pharaoh and said, I can't, but God can give Pharaoh the answer. Joseph had been in the slave for 13 years. And he didn't know what was going on, but now he's called in front of Pharaoh. And they cleaned him up because nobody can go in front of Pharaoh without being cleaned up. So he shaved and got all put on new garments. That's kind of what happens to us when we come to God, isn't it? You know, he cleans us all up because we can't go to heaven. We can't go into his presence in the kingdom until he cleans us up and he gives us a fresh robe to put on and fresh clothing and all that other kind of thing. So this is kind of a symbol of, of salvation because we have to clean up. God cleans us up. We can't do it, God cleans us up. We can't clean ourselves up, God cleans us up. And time I imagine that he probably had somebody come and shave him, I don't imagine Joseph shaved himself. If you're going to the presence of Pharaoh's you, they're there rushing you around and they're shaving you and they're doing all kinds of things and they're making you really look nice. So, <clears throat> but how do we respond when things don't go exactly the way we want? During that period of time, during that two years of waiting, how do we, we respond if that would have been us? Probably not the way Joseph did. Because when he appeared before Pharaoh, he was fit, he was strong, and he was wise. He needed that extra two years in order to be able to prepare him to be able to speak to Pharaoh. He wasn't ready to speak to Pharaoh when he first became a slave in Egypt. He wasn't good. They'd probably killed him. Because if he started trying to tell Pharaoh the kind of dreams he had before, Pharaoh wouldn't have liked it. How would you like, like, if you go to Pharaoh and say, Hey, Pharaoh, you're going to be bound down to me, or all your whole kingdom is going to be bound down to me? That wouldn't go very good. So God needed that time to be able to prepare Joseph. Not that God couldn't do it right then, but Joseph wasn't ready. Joseph wasn't ready for the ministry that God had called him to. He gave him the vision. He gave him the the hope in his heart that he was going to be doing something great. But God, he didn't give it to him all at once. And we understand that sometimes God doesn't give us our vision and everything all at once either. He may give us the the vision, and that's all we have. And that's all we can go by, and all we have to hope with is just what God has given us. And we just plug along, we stay strong, and we stay fit. Do we do that? When we're waiting on God, do we stay strong? Not only physically strong, but spiritually strong. When you're waiting on God, that's the hardest time in our lives is when we're waiting. I hate waiting. I'd just soon not go if i have to stand in line. I'd probably go to a lot, a lot of things. If they told me I wouldn't have to stand in line, I might go to more stuff. But they tell me i have to stand in line for two hours to go eat at a restaurant. Forget it. I don't need that. I'll go eat at, eat at uh, the re- McDonald's or Wendy's or somewhere. Forget that. Their food isn't that good for two hours walking in line. Uh-uh. So we do that same thing in our own spiritual lives. We don't have any patience. And we don't like standing in line waiting on God. But see, we're not supposed to just be standing there with our like this, like we did in that line yesterday, standing here one, oh oh, man, the people aren't moving. Oh, and then you got people that cut in line. Oh, and that irritates me. <laughs> standing in line for long periods of time is enough to make you lose your Christianity, isn't it? <laughs> I just want to go grab and say, hey, the line form's clear back there. I've been here for a half hour, and you're not going to get up there ahead of me. So I hate waiting, and I hate, you know, sometimes it's hard to wait on God. But when we're waiting on God, we've got to remain strong. We've got to remain fit, and we've got to realize and trust God and say, I don't know what's going on, but I know you're going to work it out. And thank God that he's going to give you the situation or give you the solution to the situation you're going through. But if we just sit around and don't do anything, just think about, you know, it's been... It's been a whole month, God, and you haven't given me any answer. been a whole month. I'm tired of waiting and just sitting there ranting raving before God. Say, I don't know what's going on. I don't care. I just want you to meet this need. We can't do that. We're just going to say, God, I don't know what's going on. I've got to be able to trust you. Lord, help me to trust you. Give me the strength. Give me the ability to have faith in you and confidence in you, knowing you're going to work it out because I can't do anything. And usually we only come to that position in our lives when we've tried everything else, and we realize, well, I can't do it anyway, so I might as well trust God. Isn't that the way we us- it usually happens? We try everything that we can try, and sometimes we make the situation worse because we're trying to force something. It's trying to, like, push a horse. You know, it's easier to lead one than it is to push one. Have you ever tried to push a rope? Try it sometime. You can't do it. Lay it on the ground, try and push it. It don't go anywhere. It just bubbles up into a thing. You can't push a rope you got to pull a rope. When you pull a rope, it kind of stays straight. It's connected to something. But God doesn't want us trying to push a rope. He wants us to sit there and trust him and say, God, I don't understand. I don't know the why of what's going on, but I'm going to sit here and trust you. If it's two years, if it's 11 years, or in Joseph's case, 13 years. It's 13 years before he finally gets the light of day where he's out of the prison and he's standing in a position that he thought he should have been in all along. And one day, God is going to do that with us. But see, he has to prepare us. If God had his way, he'd like to prepare us in one year. He would love to have used Joseph in the first year, but he wasn't ready. And we think, God, you can use me. But God says, yeah, I want to use you, but I have to prepare you. I have to prepare your heart. I have to change your heart so I can use you. So that's what we have to sit back and realize. And we look at Joseph's life and say, yeah, God can do that. Verse 25. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh had the same dream twice. God had told Pharaoh what he was going to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's all the same dream. The seven thin, sickly cows then came up behind them are seven years. The seven empty heads of grain scorched by the east wind are also seven years. Seven years of famine are coming. It's just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's going to do. Seven years are coming when we, there will be plenty of food in Egypt, and after them will come seven years of famine. People will forget that there was plenty of food in Egypt, and the famine will ruin the land. People won't remember that there was once plenty of food in the land because the coming flam, famine will be fear that the reason Pharaoh has had this reoccurring dream is because the matter has been definitely decided by God, and he will do it very soon. So the stage is finally set. For Joseph to fulfill his destiny. See, we see some kind of difference in Joseph, though. Before, he was sitting there and trying to get the, the cupbearer to, to tell somebody to get me out of here because I'm unjustly in here. He was trying to defend himself. And it was all about me, me, me. But now, all of a sudden, Joseph's attitude has changed. He's starting to talk about I. Not I, but God. God can give you the interpretation. God has shown you what he's going to do. It's God, God, God. So we start to see that something's changed in Joseph. And that's why all of a sudden he's standing before Pharaoh because Joseph has changed. When we want to stand in a situation where God has called us, we have to say, I need to be changed. And we have to be willing to let God change us because serving God is not wanting to have my own way because God knows what's best for me. I don't know what's best for me. And sometimes I throw a fit as a little kid, throwing my, laying on the ground and kicking my feet and screaming, I want my own way. You ever done that? I have. And sometimes God let me have my own way, and it doesn't turn out very good. And then God says, see, this is why I don't want to give you your own way, because sometimes God does. Verse 33. Pharaoh should look for a wise man, an intelligent man, and put him in charge of Egypt. Make arrangements to appoint supervisors over the land and take a fifth of Egypt's harvest during the seven good years. Have them collect all the food during these years and store up grain under Pharaoh's control to keep for food in the cities. This food will be as a reserve supply for our country during the seven years of famine and will ha- that will happen in Egypt. Then the land will not be ruined by the famine. Pharaoh and all his servants liked the idea, so Pharaoh asked his servants, "'Can we find anyone like this man who has God's spirit in him?' Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Because God has let you know all this, "'there is no one as wise, as intelligent as you. "'You will be in charge of my palace, and all my people will do what you say. "'I will be more important than you only because I am Pharaoh.' Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'I now put you in charge of Egypt.'" Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring and put it on Joseph's finger. He had dressed Joseph in the robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariots of the second in command. Men ran ahead of him and shouted, Make way. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of Egypt. He also said to Joseph, Even though I am Pharaoh, no one one anywhere in Egypt will do anything without your permission. Wow. Joseph we could see the changes that really happened in his life because he not only told him that what the vision was, and he told him how to solve the problem. He didn't say, hey, God gave me this vision, God gave me this message, you gotta do this for me. You gotta put me in charge because I'm the one that knows, knows how to do it. He didn't do that. He gave him the vision, he gave him the interpretation, and he was willing to give him the solution. Sometimes we, we are willing to do some of the things, but we don't wanna give people the solution to something because we wanna make ourselves feel a little more important. And when we do that, we have a tendency to mess up the situation. Because maybe God wants us to do whatever it is the solution is, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants someone else to do that job. But see, we have to be willing to let God make the right choices. And Joseph just threw it all out there, and he trusted God. And he said, okay, God, it's up to you. I've given him everything. I've given you everything that I can do. Now it's up to God. And that's what we as Christians have to do. We have to give everything to God, and then say, God, it's up to you. I've done my part. I've done everything that I can. I spoke the words that you've given me to say. I've done what you asked me to do. I testified to my neighbors. I gave them the words that you wanted me to say. Now it's up to you because we can't force people to receive the words that we give them. We can't do that, and neither could Joseph, and he finally got some knowledge. When he was younger, he, didn't, he got the knowledge, but he didn't know what to do with it. He had all the answers. He seen the vision, but he didn't know what to do with it. So he had to sit back and wait. And then Joseph has changed. Now he's willing to let God do it. We need to be willing to let God do it. And when he does, look what happens to the situation. God makes the situation turn out well. We can't. And that's what Joseph did. He gave him the answer. He gave him everything that he needed in order to get out of this situation. He gave him a simple, practical, and effective proposal to Pharaoh that made sense. Because God gave it to him. And he gave God all the glory. He said, I can't do it, but God can. And when something happens in our own lives, say, wow, that was good. Say, oh, it wasn't me. God gave it to me because we have to give glory back to God because we don't do anything on our own. Everything that we have, everything that we do is from God. We have to let him use it. It doesn't belong to us. We're just stewards of it. And when we understand that, it'll be easier for us to let go of something. It'll be easier for us to give in the offering. It'll be easier for us to give our time. It'll be easier for us to do things because we know, hey, it's not about me. It's about God. Joseph convinced Pharaoh. And because of this, Joseph looked like a genius, didn't he? Wow, I've got the answer. But look at the faith that Pharaoh had to have in Joseph. See, if he hadn't interpreted the other dreams for the cupbearer, and the baker, and it hadn't come true, Pharaoh wouldn't have listened to him. But because his words came true, they believed him. And because Pharaoh, Pharaoh was so upset over the dream that he had, he listened to Joseph. And God is going to open doors like that for us. There's going to be situations in people's lives that they're going to be upset about something in their life. And God is going to be able to use us and say, hey, don't be upset. I have the answer. God has the answer. I may not know what it is, but God does. And we can utilize those circumstances in their life. We get so far ahead of God, and we, and we don't understand what God's doing. But there's a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 55, 8 that says, My thoughts, says the Lord, are not like yours, and my ways are different from your ways. We've got to understand that God doesn't do the same things the way that we would do them. We've got to understand that. And sometimes God's ways are completely opposite of our ways. But God knows where the road goes. We don't know. He only gives us sometimes our daily bread or sometimes our daily direction. Sometimes he'll tell you, I want you to go to school. I want you to study. Or he may call you into the ministry and say, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be an evangelist. I want you to be a Sunday school teacher. He may do that. And then you have to do the things to prepare yourself for that. Well, God prepared Joseph. He didn't worry about having to go sign up for the classes. He threw him right in there. He threw him into the school of hard knocks. And that's the best place we get our education is in the school of hard knocks. I'm reminded of this story, and I'm going to read it because it's easier than me trying to reiterate it. The Lord appeared to a man in a dream. And he showed him a large rock and charged him to push against the rock with all his might. For many years, he toiled from sun to sundown, from sun up to sundown. His shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock, pushing it with all his might. Each night, the man returned to his cabin, sore, worn out feeling that his whole day had been spent in vain. One day, the adversary, who is the devil, of course, effectively placed thoughts into the man's weary mind. You have been pushing against this rock for a long time, and it hasn't budged. Why kill yourself over this? You are never going to move it. Why kill myself over this? Yeah, the man agreed. I'll just put in my time, give the minimum effort, and that will be good enough. But the man also thought, well, took his thoughts to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I have labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength to do what you have asked. Yet after all this time, I have not been able to budge the rock. What is wrong? Why am I failing? The Lord responded, when I asked you to serve me with all your strength, which you have done, never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it. Your task was to push, and now you come to me with your strength spent thinking that you have failed. But is that really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscular. Your back lean, tough, and muscular. Your legs have become massive and hard. Through Through opposition, you have grown much. Your abilities now surpass that which you used to have. Yet you haven't moved the rock, but your calling was to be obedient and to push. Exercise your faith and trust my wisdom. That's kind of what our life is sometimes. He doesn't call us sometimes to move the rock or move whatever it is that we're facing. He just called us to keep pushing at it, to keep going, to keep on keeping on until something changes. And that's what we got to do. And when we're pushing and we're expending all our energy and all our strength, we look back and say, you know, you know, I am a stronger Christian now. I am stronger. I know more about God. I know God more than I did a year ago because I've been enduring. Even though I couldn't see anything has changed in my life, I can't see the circumstances haven't changed, I've still been struggling with it, so I know that I'm different. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to make us different. He wants to change us from the inside first and then to the outside. And we can't look at the, the, the effects of what we're doing. We have to look at what God has called us to do. And he called us just to push on a rock, even though it doesn't move, we need to keep pushing on that rock. We need to keep on keeping on until God gives us the, what we need in order to get it over with. There's a, a saying, I don't know if it's a saying or whatever that I read. that said, to look is one thing. To see what you look at is another. To understand what you see is a third. To learn what you understand is something else. But to act on what you learn is really all that matters. And that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to just see or just look. He wants us to see. And he wants us to understand. And then he wants to utilize what we have learned so we can serve him. Joseph surrendered to God's will, irregardless of the circumstances, whether he didn't understand it or not. Are we willing to surrender to God's will, even though things don't work, go our way or work out the way that we want them to? And Joseph gave glory to God. When it finally came to where he had that vision in his heart, he gave glory to God. And a lot of times we don't get situations in our life because we don't give glory to God. We want to receive it for ourselves, But we need to, no matter what we get, if we get a promotion, we need to thank God. I love these athletes on TV when they interview him after a game or after they've done won an award or something. say, I thank God for that because he is my strength. He's my savior. I love that because they're giving the glory to God because God gave us the abilities that we have in order to live for him in order to work, in order to whatever we do, we can track everything back to God. So we need to give glory to God. And Joseph served with wisdom. God wants us to gain his wisdom. He wants us to study to show ourselves approved. He wants us to spend time with him. And then he will give us the wisdom. We need to put the learning in because the learning is just stuff we put in here. Wisdom is how to use that. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to show us how to use that. I want to be like Joseph. How about you? Let's pray.